Hi guys, welcome to another episode of our podcast, Talent First. Today we have a guest who is one of the sharpest minds in the AI analytics space that I have come across. Uh, he's currently the president at Corridor uh, Platforms in India right now. So hi Aditya, hi, how are you? Nice meeting you. How's it going? Going well. Looks like we are color coordinated. Twinning, we are twinning. Uh, maybe you're the younger, ver- younger version of me. That's, that's, that's a great thing. So, Aditya, as I said, we started the elevator pitch. I know you have been born up in UK and all of that. Uh, Hindi is not the most natural things that we'll comes. Try. But if you talk Hindi, it will be good for our audience. Okay. So, Aditya, who is Aditya? Along the way. Right. If there's one word that defines me is jack of all trades and a queen of few. Mm. <laughs> Not a king of any, but a queen of few. Right. Always uh, focused on broadening my exposure. I boss who I was Wade Pfeiffer. He was an Australian mm. guy. Yeah, yeah. Bola ki, he said, Ek mantra hai hiring mein. If I had to hire for skill versus hire for attitude, yeah. I'll hire for attitude. So when they hired me, so, very interesting thing is that they had a controller ke liye job, tha, jee, a financial jee. controller. So, they were a CPA accountant, you know, right, right. run of the mill, who will get the job done. Yeah, yeah. And here I was from tech, se aaya tha, analytics, the, obviously financial modeling, se the, and I was a financial analyst. And he said, you've never done debits, credits in books, but you have a better understanding of business than a regular accountant. So why don't you come on board and try this new gig? Mm-hmm. And he said, I'll hire for attitude versus hire for skill. So that my thought always bad. That is how it should be, always, mm. right? Mm. And I, when I hire, when I evaluate people's potential, I look for the attitude. How do you define your attitude? Willing to try anything, anytime. Mm. And not feeling afraid of failure not having that anxiety of that and intrinsically it doesn't matter whether you how whether do you, you how do you define failure because when people say they're not afraid of failure yeah the definition is something that we need to look at what do you define as failure kafi log failure mein bolte hain ki failure of outcome right aapka jo desired result tha you didn't achieve that uh-huh. right mere liye desired outcome is less important process as you were doing it, yeah. that is more important. That itself, sure. failure may be right, right. when you work for some mentors or you work for your leaders, there are some good leaders yep. and some yep. not very good yep. leaders. Yep. Dono se sikte hai, sure. Right? Sure. So in my mind it's always been about it's always about the process. The learnings itself is success. Sure. If the outcome is great. That's an icing on the cake. Yeah, right? yeah. So I've always had that mindset. And once you have that, hmm. and if you don't have a fear about trying to validate yourself with other people, then you're in very good territory. Hmm. And then, you know, you always have a very positive outlook to everything that you do. Hmm. And you also have the aapka jo ek risk appetite hota na, wo jata hai. because you're not afraid of trying things where because you're not so you're not so what should I say? You're not so stuck up about the outcome. Hmm. It's sort of Buddhist philosophy hai, right? hmm. when you think hmm. about it. Ki hmm. Follow the middle way, do your thing, outcome could not come, it will not come, it will not So what we usually see is people like yourself who have a high risk appetite. appetite. Yeah, yeah. There is something that in childhood mein kuch na kuch, there would be certain instances hmm. that have, would have influenced your thought process. Hmm. These can be your schooling, these can be a different country you are in, hmm. these can be your parents, this can be a teacher. Hmm. So can you talk us about a couple of 
big instances or influencing instances in your childhood hmm. predominantly when you were around 10 and 15 jab main chhota bachcha tha 10 15 age group aap kahan pe the main wo i was born in the uk but i came back to india hmm. and then we were in bombay delhi all how around long, the seaports because how, I, how long did you live in uh, uh, the uk in the beginning couple of years couple of years yeah. i don't remember much of it because i was born in couple of years and then i we moved back मेरे डैड नेवी में थे जी जी मेरी मदर भी नेवी में थी मर्चेंट नेवी नो इंडियन नेवी हाँ वो डॉक्टर थी डैड वाज इन द शिप्स सो जब हम वापस आए थे सो एक चीज थी क्या ओवर टाइम आई एम एज्यूमिंग समवेयर अराउंड टेन टू फिफ्टीन एज ग्रुप मैं काफी इंट्रोवर्ट हो गया था आई वॉज एन इंट्रोवर्ट बाई नेचर एंड वॉज इट डू योर एक्सेंट डिड यू फील दैट यू आर नॉट फिटिंग इन नहीं इतना एक्शन नहीं था मे बी देर वॉज जस्ट हेजिटेंसी इन सम फॉर्म एंड मैनर एंड ऑफ ऑल द ऑकवर्डनेस ऑफ द टीम्स सो सो वेन यू कैन गो थ्रू दैट एंड यू स्टार्ट टू देन बिकम एन अडल्ट एंड यू स्टार्ट टू सींग द वर्ल्ड द बेस लाइन इज देयर एंड यू रियलाइज दैट दैट्स नॉट हु यू आर सो फ्लावरिंग योर सेल्फ आउट फ्रॉम दैट वॉज एसेंशली सो मे बी दैट इन सम सेंसेज टू मी बींग इन ट्रू वर्ड वॉज अ बेस लाइन आई डोट थिंक but i knew that i didn't want to be that that was not true me hmm. so then you know so you make directed efforts not to be an introvert going forward and then you experience life so i think for me when i was in my 20 early 20s mai us mein gaya mba par seekhne going for the mba program and staying out of the house and doing it to the first time so sure. completely broadens you because there is no support system anyway right, right, right? right. all you right what you do is what you get so in that way america is very meritocratic so that also helped me uh, grow in a lot uh, in a, in a so big way so what was the catalyst when we look at your journey right mm. from an introvert to an extrovert what was that one catalyst event was mba that that really made you broaden your confidence i know we spoke about this earlier it was dancing a little bit to ek cheez hai ki when you start and that was not around the mba time a little bit later but when i reflect back Gee. i think more and more i think about it ki aap jab in a social setting aap comfortably you dance with the opposite uh, opposite sex or the same sex doesn't matter but whichever way the fact that you have to put yourself out there to do this hmm. it actually innately builds your confidence very interesting and you lose the fear and i think that's it i think you lose the fear of rejection hmm. and when that happens the it has what i call as waterfall effect on your day to day life mm. in a big way mm. so that was kind of thing so for me that was a, a very big catalyst on a subliminal level mm. that helped me flower out in a big way mm. and and yeah i think having in the formative professional careers years for me when i was in seattle atlisma having really qualified ex- highly experienced executives who had let go large corporate jobs and come in and help scale that firm and couple of them was an ex one of them was a person called andrew while when he was next bcg consultant i learned a lot about financial analysis strategy thinking with numbers and how to simplify complex matter in a way that you can come up with action strategies and things mm-hmm. like that right mm-hmm. so that those were the kind of things that also helped me in a big way to uh, to bat above my average at mm-hmm. that at that age group year 2000 was kind of interesting for me this was, is your third year in job i think so yeah it was yeah 97 was a password that's right i was third year in job yeah. 
मैं फाइनेंशियल एनालिस्ट था ऐसी एक छोटी सी रूम होगी एंड वी वर सिटिंग देयर विद यू नो सिक्स ऑफ दीज एग्जीक्यूटिव दैट आई टॉक्ट अबाउट हु हैड लॉट ऑफ रिस्पेक्ट फॉर एंड विद इन अ मैटर ऑफ थ्री और फोर मंथ्स वी हैड टू टेक आ बर्न डाउन बाय वन एंड हाफ मिलियन पर क्वार्टर सो दैट वी वर गोड बी ब्रेक इवन इन एन एनवायरमेंट इन टू बिग रिसेशन सो वो जो एक कंप्रेस्ड pressure packed environment in a small room where we had to do the pros and cons ki concert which part of the uh, business mein kya kar sakte hain should we cut there should we invest there it was a complex multimodal decisioning thing hmm. and wahan pe jo learning hui na that kind of became part of my ingrain so that's something i've uh, realized when i talked to leaders hmm. whenever they were at a stage where top line growth was the focus uh they lost a bit of humility in their thought process hmm. but when the focus was bottom line oriented hmm. i see that leaders have that uh, sense of humility that sense of grounding yeah uh, so now just tell us right like you are early parts of 2000 you are sort of doing a good job hmm. in that that in that company you are growing pretty fast yeah what was your aspiration like us time pe aspiration kabhi thi ki khud ka startup karunga या फिर था कि यार आई हैव अंडरस्टूड द साइंस आई हैव अंडरस्टूड द आर्ट ऑफ नेटवर्किंग आई हैव बिल्ड माय ओन ब्रांड नाउ आई विल मूव स्मार्टली आई हैव सर्टेन कमिटमेंट्स सो आई विल हैव अ रिस्क एपेटाइट दैट मैचेस विद माय कमिटमेंट्स बट स्टिल हैव अ रिस्क एपेटाइट सो थॉट प्रोसेस क्या थी मतलब स्टार्टअप के अंदर मेरे को मुझे फीलिंग ये है कि आपने स्टार्टअप के बारे में उस टाइम पे कभी उस तरीके से सोचा नहीं करेक्ट करेक्ट सो जो सोच थी कि जितना मुझे सीखने को मिलेगा cross dimensionally yeah. seeko i remember i was in a meeting and this was like an offsite that right. we, offsite that we had at uh, telisma mm. and the ceo and a couple of the folks we were all discussing product right right and the product management guys were there the sales guys were there we were discussing yeah. product strategy yeah. aur yahan pe main hath upar karke main bata raha ki you know we should be doing this we should yeah. be doing this yeah. ye try karo wo yeah. try karo yeah. so i remember distinctly still hardwired in my brain the ceo looks at me and dan is the most dan he says aditya aren't you the guy who makes the who makes the payroll every month <laughs> like why is the finance guy sitting here and telling me about product strategy right. but in some sense that was the mindset the mindset was ki mujhe because i'm in a startup i want to learn a, a broad array of skills right from sales to marketing to strategy to financial to boards you know board interaction to how to scale a business so more than of being in a startup I wanted to take advantage of the fact that I was in one where I had this enormous opportunity to broaden my T, you know, the T skill base, right? So mm. that was the mindset that was going in my head, and that's always remained. I always wanted to do things which I've never done before, right? And startups naturally have a correlation to that because you you have the affinity to do that. When you're in a large firm, you're siloed into one area, right? But when you introspect, when you look back, mm. do you feel uh, when you were part of that journey, you could have started on your own? At, at the, because risk appetite बहुत high होगी ना उस time पर comparatively ना that time in my uh, mid mid to late twenties yeah yeah US में visa angle का कार्य issue था so it was not so easy to kind of just get out and Fair you were tied to a firm but on the other hand in all of these I was given a lot of leeway to start initiatives within the firm sure so I'll give an example so we set up a small medium we had an enterprise tier one business in this uh, atlas and then we had a small medium business 
which was incubated as a one of the first sure. few cloud delivery right, offerings. Right, right. So we did a whole bunch of stuff there. We had acquired a firm out of LA, yeah, yeah, and and etc. So it was fun to actually go do that hmm. and actually build that business out after that acquisition was done. So I I got to run businesses within a startup environment and given a lot of leeway to decide the levers of sales, marketing, budgets, and all of that kind of stuff. And of course, the operational elements to deliver. So you were based out of Seattle. Yeah. Now Seattle, as we all know, is the Microsoft hub. Yeah. And in Microsoft, and Amazon hub. Amazon, obviously. Mm -hmm. And Indians are like plenty there. Mm -hmm. So tell us about a couple of sort of mentors or friendships you built in Seattle mm -hmm. with Indians. in the tech industry that sort of made you learn a couple of things and what are those learnings see i think uh, seattle had two main circles or three amazon had one big uh, circle of indians oasians you had boeing also had a big one and then you had microsoft right obviously boeing and there are some firms you wouldn't have heard of like packard yeah. or, Co or costco you've heard of so costco's also there right so there were these circles there i think i had thankfully through the network i managed to have folks in each of these mm, firms i like it and like in amazon you know they were at that time kind of scaling up aws aws so just getting law and of course they were very much into their core business at that time but they were still trying to make that business profitable right the whole selling of books and then selling other merchandise they were just getting third party resellers onto it Microsoft was always was big on kind of enterprise the things that they they were acquiring enterprise Xbox companies and all of that. correct and that was a loss making for a long time before it became yeah, profitable yeah, right yeah. so i had folks who were straddling business and tech and i would hear the challenges that they had right the push and pulls in the organizations as they're doing that uh, boeing maybe boeing was a little bit more old school but uske खुद के कोई डायनेमिक्स नहीं बट कॉस्को वॉज इंटरेस्टिंग आई टू आई न्यू समबडी हुआ टू प्ले क्रिकेट विद अच्छा क्रिकेट खेलते थे आप लोग हाँ क्रिकेट वॉज वेरी वेरी पॉपुलर इन सियाडल येस यस वी हैड साउथ अफ्रीकन इंडियंस पाकिस्तानी बांग्लादेशीज लीग था संडे को खेलते थे हाँ संडे को Costco and I remember him talking about supply chain because that was an area we, we never got into that much right when we when we started to look at this how he would manage the supply chain he was handling a lot of the pricing dis, uh, hmm. decisions hmm. just in time inventory management and all that hmm. so you know so you get exposed to all of this beyond the mind blowing stuff that you're doing within the startup itself right so that was that was a very uh, what should i say uh A, a culture that kind of bought all of this stuff together hmm. but there was another interesting thing i was big into sailing which i didn't talk about into sailing yeah i didn't i didn't mention that previously yeah. okay so i used to have a catamaran uh, 18 foot catamaran of your own yeah 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 oh well, if you ask my wife now she's still not happy about that one you still have it or what no no we, we sold it to the university of washington oh, okay. nice so so i used to sail i used to sail uh, catamaran wow. used to as to windsurf sports is always a big thing वहां पे वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग एक्सपीरियंस था कि देर वॉज एन एरिया बिटवीन वॉशिंगटन एंड ऑरिगन इट्स कॉल्ड द गॉर्ज एंड इट्स अ रिवर वेरी डीप रिवर एंड अ फास्ट फ्लोइंग रिवर सो आई टू गो सेल टू वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग इवेंट्स दैट आई कैन विच कैंड ऑफ आर फॉर्मेटिव एन यू लुक बैक इन हाइंड साइड राइट सो वन वॉज देर वर कपल ऑफ देर वॉज अ क्लास ऑफ बोट एंड देर वर अट ऑफ ओलम्पियंस हु वर एक्चुअली Racing in that fleet. Okay. So I got to race with a couple of 
current Olympian champions in that play. And how, were, how did you do? It was we did okay. We you did, did okay. okay. Yeah, we were like we were in the top not five. Bad, not we were bad. In top five in a fleet of twenty. Not bad. Not bad. And what is interesting to me, or what what I assimilated there, was how humble these highly skilled sailors were, and their willingness to teach. Hmm. I was probably the only Asian in a you know sea of white, right? Because hmm, hmm. it was a relatively a white sport. But leaving that aside, just the the mindset of nurturing talent that I saw in these sportsmen was amazing, right? The second interesting event related to the gorge was I had to be rescued one, like a four-hour rescue. So I went out and it was you know used to get five, six foot waves, etc. So I had to I had to be rescued by this particular person who I did not know. He was just sailing there, wow. and you know I had to tie my boat to his behind his uh, windsurfing board, and then kind of we had to f- say, go upstream and come back to the shore. Right, right. I ruined his afternoon that day, <laughs> but he did it hmm. because for him we were part of a community of windsurfers. Right, right, right. So my point being that you know these kind of things when you reflect back, they somewhere get imprinted on your brain of what is considered you know, community behavior, right? And that translates to work. And all of this thing is work-life balance is all like a circle as, you know, sure. Bezos talks about it, right? Hmm. But yeah, so... So you, you stayed in this company for what, nine years? Yeah, nine or ten years. And then we see you go to a company for a year in a sales kind of role. Yeah, that was again stepping out of my comfort zone Yeah, and trying to do something that I had... At, at that time, as a salesperson, now I know because as part of your job, which is, is holistic... Sales is obviously a part of it. Yeah. What were some mistakes you did in corporate enterprise sales that time that you will not repeat again? Without naming instances that, or you don't repeat again. I think strategic account mapping is a skill that you have to take very seriously. And knowing where the centers of power are. Influencers, key decision makers. Yeah, influencers, you know, who's an influencer, who's got the money bag. And understanding those dynamics and where you need to focus attention on is not something that comes naturally. So for for someone like me, let's say in our business, we also need to figure it out. And I was telling you about certain of our accounts where we are trying to figure it. Now, what if you could tell me like some playbook, what what could I do? To figure that out. Somebody who understands what the power structure is. Because org charts you can easily get, right? That's, that's the easy part. That's static, that's, right? Yeah. But really understanding from a beachhead where, what the direction of the firm that you're trying to build a business in, what are their hot levers? Obviously, if they're public, they tell you some of that. But if you were to get some of that insider information that you can use to, and this is very important. One big thing that I learned was solution selling. This is, you know, just not just saying that I've got these widget of services, how can I help you? Versus saying, I know that these are the areas you're looking to build. What if I could help you with these? So you have yeah. to preempt it with solution selling. Solution selling and understanding power centers to me was very critical in, in really building. See, end of the day, they say this is a cliche. People buy from people, right? Or people said to people, end of the day, you have to trust me that I have your back if I'm going to invest Gee. in your services or product, right? So it's very critical in in the in this in this scenario to know the power centers to be able to take and this is really boils down to core problem solving right to say that oh these are the various areas that that business is investing in what can I do in the whole cogs so to say where I can help them achieve those goals and you have to do core problem solving yourself you have to get comfortable doing it yourself 
and then having these influencers slash people who bat for you to go you know brainstorm these ideas with and then mm. finalize it so, mm. and then you go pitch it right mm. so i think solution selling it's i know it's a uh, it is a learned science now but it's a very critical element if you want and you have to do it consistently and you have to get good at it and you have to make less mistakes and then you get you really zoom and some of the sales people i've worked with who are way more experienced than me in enterprise selling i learned a lot from them mm. as how they were doing solution selling mm. right so there's a there's an art there's an art element to it but there's a very strong element of rigor and discipline that goes along with it so i think uh, what i am trying to understand is you cannot be transactional you like, cannot be transactional you cannot just go to them and say as you rightly said this is what i have yeah. you have to say this is the problem that you have yeah and this is what we can do to solve that problem yeah and even if you even if you get it 50% right the other person is already starting to listen to you because you're speaking in their lingo sure right तो उससे बड़ा फायदा होता है कि इवन इफ आई डेंट गेट इट राइट ओके यू ऑन द राइट डायरेक्शन हाउ अबाउट दिस एंड हाउ अबाउट दिस यू जस्ट कन्वर्ट द पर्सन टूवर्ड्स योर साइड व्हेन यू डू समथिंग लाइक दैट एंड व्हाट यू राइटली सेड अ सजेशन टू अस टू हायर समवन फ्रॉम दैट इंडस्ट्री फ्रॉम दैट डोमेन कैन डेफिनेटली हेल्प अस फेयर इनफ सो नाउ आफ्टर दैट जर्नी वी सी दैट यू गो टू एस एनालिटिक्स Yeah, for two years. For two years, and this is two thousand eight to two thousand ten. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And so my assumption is, when you took a leap in your career of getting into sales, the world economy crashed. Correct. Two thousand eight was the housing crisis. And being in sales at that time in any industry, yeah, would not be a very great. And thing. And there were some imperatives to move to India at that time, also because my kids were young. So it having them close to the family was an added advantage, also. So in two thousand eight, if I'm not wrong, there were still a very few boutique. pure play analytics providers yeah i think mu sigmas and fractal and a couple of them were still there but yeah. still not not that many yeah and sg was one of the first few to get into it and then we see a gold rush sort of thing happening yeah, yeah. in this beauty analytics space in 2011 to 2015 16 bracket when many many opened correct correct so tell us back in 2008 i think uh, the head was mr gupta yeah uh I'm, were you, I'm sure you were working with him in the in the same uh, org. What were you guys thinking uh, with respect to analytics, uh, with respect to data science, decision science, whatever you call it, yeah. at that time? Okay, so I'll just set a context here. So I had done a lot of financial modeling. I got my CFA along the way. So there was some you know street credentials attached to that. <clears throat> to me, getting into kind of more on the how can analytics be used from a prediction perspective to drive outcomes probabilistically that was new and there weren't a lot of new code you had to you had to be fairly self taught yeah yeah and you also it's very important even as we were building it at that point of time it was very important to be aware of what you can do in the short term versus what you can do in the mid term because it was still early stage there was a lot of demand but you had to like there were too many too much discovery too much discovery yeah there was there was there, you could be distracted So you had to kind of hone into certain areas. I, I feel like I learned a lot on the job there. When I when I came on board, then the uh, the firm was mostly around investment research, quite a bit. So we kind of build out the entire analytics arm there. So we really helped you know build that market research kind of thing they were doing and investment research. So a lot of investment research work, like financial investment research with banks in Europe. And it was interesting because it was fairly greenfield because again there was no talent pool there and if you walked in and if you had a good strategic mindset to it and you were able to translate that to an analytic strategy you had a real opportunity so we did that was, for me it was a 
it was a phenomenal test bed to learn, to learn, try things and see how it worked. And then I translated that to five. This was your first job in India. That was my first gig in India. Yeah. Now tell me when you came to India, in a working culture structure, mm. as opposed to the US, what were your few observations in the beginning? And as observations, what happens is once we come from a different ecosystem, we sort of uh, critically evaluate a lot of things. Yeah. Or analyze a lot of things, goods and bads both. Sure. So what were your observations? And you're like, why is this happening? And like, what was that thought in your head? So I won't make it SG analytics specific. I'm just broadly fair speaking. Enough, fair right? enough, so fair enough. I think that's that would be fair fairer way to answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to just put my thoughts in that a little bit. So in India, the the culture around a hierarchy mm. was that one thing that you. I'm sure you were expecting it, but I think and I'll be a little bit controversial here, right? So this mindset that. And things have changed over time. But at that, that point in time, the mindset that when, when you're heading delivery and you're getting work done, the person who's doing the work, who's working with you or reporting to you, whatever, being able to produce a 90% deliverable so that you can add the 10% whiz bang. Now, that's how strategy consultant firms like McKinsey or BCG sure. work. But that's not an easy thing. Yeah. The ability for people to think 360 hmm and top down and say, all right, the client is expecting this and this is a little bit of wow factor I can put in here and this will really wow the client and this is what I've got, now let help me polish it and you know, get, right. take my diamond and kind of really polish it. That mindset was not there. The mindset was, can I do the bare minimum to get it in front of a client? And then I had to, there were times overall, whether you know these firms that I work for, that I had to heavy lift quite a bit to get it to the point. I didn't see that interestingly that was a, for me, that was a big culture change from the way folks work in the US. Like I felt, and maybe there was some element of positive select there, so the type of people in Seattle, et cetera, that we were working with, was there's a very strong ownership and pride in producing the best quality work that you can do and then have somebody else help you kind of get it. My analysis on that is, and the reason is that all of these people in these companies, they started their careers in IT services companies. And these early parts of the IT service companies, they are taught to hide things or they are taught to chalta hai attitude kind of Correct. generally. Good enough for government work. Haan, you know what I mean, right? I think that, that can be a reason why you... That could be. And a second could be that they just didn't get exposed to a lot of that in their educational formation. In some sense, what you're doing with your firm is a little bit of that element, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You're trying to raise the game. And I, I say that even to folks that I work with today, that it's not just about whether you can code. But you have to be able to problem solve. Logic. Yeah, logical problem solving from business impact, work your way backwards. Even in a very technical field, yeah. which I'm in and I'm very comfortable with that, even in a technical field like analytics, you have to know your analytics is going to do what? Is it going to you know, allow you to catch up to competitors, beat your competitors, drive automation, reduce your cost? Yeah, yeah. What is that impact that you're going to create? Right? And that's important. That, that process that you have to go through is important. And I think, again, coming back to your question, those are the skills that were not taught in schools. So you were taught programming languages. You were taught, let's say, financial modeling. You were taught the basics of PNL, uh, PNL balance sheet, and how to read them. But you were not taught these next level of skills. So you, if you don't know that, it's very hard. You have to learn that on the job, and hopefully you have mentors who are 
who who are enlightened to these things and can help you with that. So those are the kind of so those are the challenges so, I felt. No, enthusiasm my, was strong though. Hmm. I, I, let me let me not. Uh, I don't want to uh, sandbag this one. Sure. Enthusiasm was strong, but here there were some issues there. Ki, hmm. You know, how do you get it from where you are to a client delivery that the client would be pleasantly surprised? So, Arita, tell me one thing. You have been working for 10 years, 8-10 years. You have been working for 30-31, 32 years. When you started working in India. Mein kaam karna shuru kiya. Now, aap, because you were coming from Seattle, that background, se the, hmm. I'm sure you would be the smart person in the room. You average I'm not say, sure of that. Ask my wife that well, question. You can what I'm trying to say, right? <laughs> so you will be smarter than the average person in the room. Now you are making certain observations that people don't have a 360 degree mind frame, holistic mind frame. Us time I should start up. Because I'm just trying to understand a person like yourself who has always been the smarter one in the room. Yeah. What has stopped? I don't think there was one trigger. I think you mean US women. सब स्मार्ट है तो तब लगता है ठीक है चलो ये है रिस्क एपेटाइट है हमसे पर इंडिया के लगता है सब घरे हैं मतलब आई जस्ट ट्राइंग टू आई एम बीइंग वेरी डिप्लोमेटिक अबाउट इट या नो नो आई गेट इट आई गेट योर क्वेश्चन एंड आई गेस इन सम वे आई ऑलवेज वांटेड टू बी इन अ ग्लोबल सेटिंग वर्सेस इंडिया सेंट्रिक सेटिंग फेयर इनफ राइट सो दैट्स द आंसर या एंड सो इफ देयर वाज एन एंटिटी ऑफ अ सर्टेन साइज नॉट वेरी लार्ज एंड नॉट एक्सट्रीमली स्मॉल where I got an opportunity to, and you talked about earlier, like Eric Schmidt, I'm not comparing myself. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah, uh, yeah. Just let's be very clear that he's <laughs> way there. But in that, that kind of, that kind of analogy, if you apply it, yes. So what we'll do is, the thumbnail of this podcast will be Eric Schmidt of analytics. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't go there, don't go just there. Kidding, no, no, no. Just kidding. Fair enough. He might take offense to that. Fair enough, fair enough. So now, coming back to the journey, right? Uh, you stay in SG for like what? Two and a half years? Two and a half years. And then what happens? Then it was Fiserv. So, Fiserv. this is a big company. This is, yeah. uh, this is probably the only big MNC yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that you joined, if I'm not wrong? Well, the first job was at Motorola. So, yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, but that was engineering job. Uh, yes, and I, I was a very enlightened president there. His name was Srihari Gokhale. He's in a firm called Lentra.ai yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Uh, LOS, uh, Lending Origin Systems. Anyway, so so he saw the potential, and a little bit like Wade, who's an Australian do, guy who who I worked for earlier, the mindset was that oh, we can actually build an entire asset of capabilities yep, out yeah. of Pfizer uh, Global Services, where Pfizer was in a unique position because they had access to all of this mid-tier banking data, mm -hmm. right? And it, as long as they got the client consent, you could use that data and give them analytics specific marketing or prospecting oriented analytics that would help them scale and be able to acquire clients or deepen relationships, right? Remember, these mid-tier institutions have one or two people in their MIS team. That's it. They're people who can write a little bit of SQL code and that's it, a little bit of marketing savviness, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're able to offer, hmm. so we, we, we built out this offering called Decision Optimization Services or DOS. Bad name because DOS, you know, has yeah. a connotation of DOS. But it was, but it was, it was, it was the right mindset where DOS was about. It's it's not just about analytics or models, but it's about optimizing decisions so that you accelerate whether it's more deepen your current relationships or acquire more new relationships. Right? You're optimizing decisions. Right? So it was the right uh, frame of mind that we had. So we created this 
capability called predictive scores in the marketplace. And for that, you have to do a lot of orchestration. Because when you're working at a firm, that was about $5 billion, give or take, at that time. Damn. Fiserv. In revenue. In revenue, correct, correct. Now they are more like 10 or 12 uh, with the acquisitions. That, uh, they got merged with uh, WorldPay. So, uh, so the critical thing there was that you had, we had to, in an enterprise setting, we had to orchestrate with all of these core banking groups within sure, Fiserv, sure. right? And that was, you know, it was a lot of work because all of them had some overlap of offerings, maybe it was BI-oriented or what have you, but we had to kind of form relationships within the Fiserv community so that you could build an offering, collect all the you know bill payment data or core banking data, et cetera, and kind of put it all together and then build this offering that you could deliver as a cloud-delivered service. So that's what we did. Right. So, uh, so it was a very interesting ch challenge and uh, we were quite successful in kind of getting this thing going. So and this is also in India? I was based in India, but we stood, I used to travel quite a bit back and forth in Atlanta in India. So DOS was based out of Atlanta in Georgia. So we were building this offering. I started in Atlanta. Before you, yeah, Emory, Emory, yeah, okay, okay, okay. You and Emory, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Yes, I still live in Alpharetta. Oh, yeah, perfect. So Pfizer had a, they had acquired a firm called Check Free. So they were in in Johns Creek and Alpharetta. Anyway, so point being that, you know, that was a very innovative offering, and I think it was innovative not just because it had analytics or prediction involved in it, but it was innovative because Pfizer was. Primarily a core banking transaction processor. Now, mm. guess what happens there? Every two years you go out mm. for contract renewals, cost per transactions have to be reduced. Nobody ever walks in and says, okay, I'm going to increase your cost per transaction. Yeah, yeah. But the moment you say, you know what, these transactions have economic value in them and I can help you uncover insights that can drive better insights for you to cross-sell or better insights around retention That's where you start. or help you find proxy clients that you can acquire, you know, That's the look alike. So then you change the game, right? So not only do you defend, so here's going back to strategy, not only do you defend your Remember. current cash cow streams, but you add in a few extra streams on top of that. And that's what we were trying to achieve with this offering. I think we were reasonably successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Perfect. So now we see a couple of stints that you do from 2011 to 2016, 18, 17. Mm -hmm. There was Zaffin and Synaptic, yeah. Just walk us through these five, six years. My assumption is by this time, you are more matured enough to know how your career is going to pan out. Yeah. You are uh, sort of in the zone. Uh, and I'm sure you are at, at a point where a lot of options are there for you. Yeah. A lot of th thoughts can come across your mind. Sure. But what I personally see is you are still focused and your focus is to have that zero to one kind of kick yeah. of, of yeah. building something, yeah. of, of being at that inflection point. Yeah. Now, as a person who's in that zone, you would be about 35 at that time? Give or yeah, mid-30s. Mid-30s. Uh, what are certain things that you evaluate while picking or deciding what course your career should take? Yeah. So, Ekbar, you have a body of knowledge, you've earned it, you've learned it experientially. Then you want to you don't want to be stationary in career, right? You want to say, how can I leverage that to take it to the next level? But now, then it then it becomes about go-to-market. You're building out yeah. an entire line of business, whether you do it in a like you've done in a startup setting of your own, 
or as part of another organization. So, so, so aspirations change up, right? Aspirations go with uh, right, uh, right, go with time, right, right? Right. So Zaffin, which is which is a very interesting relationship pricing software firm out of Canada, right? Uh, fantastic CEO Al Karim Sonji, who's based out of Vancouver. So they were partners of Pfizer. So that's how I got to know and uh, got to know of him. And there was a president there also. His name was Mike Sigro. And uh, he's no longer with the firm. But, but both Mike and Kareem <clears throat> were highly influential for me. Uh, they brought a lot of strategic mindset to the table of how banks should be looking at customer relationships holistically and pricing products to the overall relationship footprint that they have. Mm -hmm. right? And then idea was, okay, can we then fit an analytical offering on top? A little bit like Pfizer, but Pfizer was a little bit more transactional. This was around, can we do relationship analytics and loyalty analytics on top and offer that as a productized offering on top of the core platforms that Zaffin had, which was called My Revenue. Right? Mm -hmm. so, so we built My Analytics on top of My Revenue. So tell me one thing, right? across all of these organizations, what I'm seeing is that when you go there with the team, you guys sort of figure out new ways to look at business, existing business that you guys already Yes, have. and the data that you have. Now the data that you have. Yeah. Now, one approach is to think from your organization level and go deep. The other is to just be observant to what other organizations are doing. Now, what I personally believe is that the world we live in, there is a lot of information. The industry that you are talking about, there are a lot of companies that operate in this industry and there are a lot of best practices yeah. that are there to learn. Yeah. So, could you tell us about a couple of best practices or a couple of sources of information that you used to look at that influenced you to take certain right decisions? It's a broad question, but I'll, I'll try and address it uh, in, a, in a way that would make sense in today's world, sure. which was analytics, less so today than earlier, was still seen as a voodoo science, right? You had to have a master's in statistics, right? You had to have a good amount of work experience. Yeah. The bar of entry was high. Right? And so there's a paucity of data scientists. That was the situation maybe six, seven, eight years back, give or take. And today we look at it as now highly automated, self-serve. Right? So in some senses, in all of these, we were trying to cross the chasm of having it being bespoke, tied to a few set of people who understood this really well and delivering it as, let's say, a consulting offering to can we make it self-serve and democratize that across a larger base of institutions or customers, right? So if you have that mindset, to your point, when you see powerful opportunities to provide business impact using analytics, you say, well, how can I productize this and deliver it, deliver it to on a, on a one-to-many platform? So cloud delivered for sure, right? So that was always sticking in my head. And one of the folks that I worked with, I can tell you a quick anecdote, his name was David Rose, very smart. Uh, he was heading the DOS, uh, DOS platform and I was working very closely with him. And one of the things we were, we were sitting in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a conference room in Atlanta, we were looking at some model performance. And you know, we were looking at the ROC curve, which is a measure of model performance. And you know, some, somebody had, one of the models had created like you know, 78, 79% ROC. And we, we all sitting there and you know, David looked at all across. He said, you know what, that's great. But that's a consulting gig. What if I could offer something similar? And we all started to nod our heads and we, you know, yeah, it made sense. So, 
what if I just gave 70% ROC, but I gave it to like 25 institutions versus singularly spending a good $30,000, $40,000 to deliver maybe another 10% lift on that, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, can I democratize, give you good enough value for the money that you figure? If you're spending $30,000 in getting a performance that is about, let's say, 80% of what a top tier would give you, is that good enough? That is that a good you know, benefit to value ratio? And if it is, then why not do that at scale and deliver it as a productized offering? And I think that, you know, that's an example, but that anecdote stood, stood with me all the time that we need to productize it in a way that people can self-serve, get the benefit, and get good, quote-unquote, good enough benefit. If they get that, then, you know, the whole story starts to make a lot more sense. How important is the story? Because my question is that the solutions that you're talking about, yeah. there are a lot of techies around the world in a lot of these companies, then there are many solutions that we see. But the go-to market, what we see is what makes the difference. Yeah, yeah. And go to market, what I am trying to understand is how important is the narrative? Like the way you explain it to me. Yeah, I get how it. important is the narrative? So I have a point of view on that. <clears throat> the point of view is like this. Any cloud delivered offering, because we always talk about that nowadays, there is no other form, right? Yeah. Or essentially, unless it's legacy, then we don't, we're not talking about that here. It's important to know what are three things that you're really good at. So if you think about concentric circles, in the, in the center of the circle are three things that you're good at. Not two and not five, just sure, three. Sure, right? sure. Make it three. Right. So three that you're good at, and then let's say 10 that are surrounding it, which you might be average at, and you do it because you need to fit something. Sure, sure. you know, we don't sit in an island, right, right, you right. sit in an ecosystem. Right, right? Right. It's very important to know when you're building a product, an MVP, you're trying to launch your own offering in the marketplace. You need to know what the three things you're good at explain them really simply, and then keep repeating that message in different forums that you're at. Whether it's your pitch deck to your investors, whether that's to your client, whether solution selling, but around those three pillars. I relate to it. Right? Very, very well because there is a natural seduction here of saying, you know what, let me try to do the 10, because somehow I don't want to be, I don't want the, uh, the, the client or the prospect to think that I'm not good at the rest. But it's very hard to be good at 10 things. Yeah. The more narrower and deeper you are, backed by your domain expertise, the better you are in the bracket of your, of your prospect to say, ah, these guys are good here, for that I will use that and then I'll integrate them in. Hmm. The moment you say that I'm good at a lot of things, people start to naturally distrust you a little bit or they realize that you are you're batting above what you, know, what you really are actually capable of doing. Sure. So it's very important to know the three things that you're really good at and build your offerings around that. That's very mm. critical. And the messaging has to be mm. simple. Mm. It has to be tied into the business impact, mm. right? And when you do that, so, you know, at Corridor, we're very clear that we don't build AI. Sure. We enable AI-driven decision workflows and we are all about governance, compliance, and automation. Yeah. And we enable you to compress your time to market, right? Mm. So we are an enabler for, so in an analogy of a train, we're not the train, we are the, we are, we are the tracks, we are the yeah. tracks on which yeah. you run. Yeah. We are upgrading your tracks so you can go fast, right? Yeah. And we don't get into the seduction of like, oh, oh, we can also build you LLM models. We can, but that's not our core offering. We're enabling you to go fast towards your business impact. That is our core offering. Hmm. So basically, initially what Geo did, yeah. Now that they are into everything, geo cinema and all of that, but initially that was the whole thought of Mukesh Ambani to build the railroads of modern India. That's right. Something on those lines. That's right. Now, when you when you have firms of that size, there are wherewithals where they are able to build, you know, really pillars. Yeah, they're a different scale. But 
But you don't get there from zero to there, sure, right? Sure. So, it, so when when you're starting off, you need to have strong three legs, so to say, sure. and then build from there. Yeah. So, so tell me one thing, right now, the way you are talking, what I realize is you are a good networker, like generally. Good networker, yeah, yeah. And most of the jobs that you would have gotten in your life would be through a networking play only. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not. I don't think so you would have applied for any of these. I don't think so. Right. Right. So explain to us how does uh, how has networking played a role in your life? Yeah. And what are some tips, thoughts around it that we can learn from? You're making me sound smarter than I am, but that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but there's one nugget that I can, uh, and I, I I tell that to who I work with, sure. right? Which is this very simple phrase of you owe a net credit to somebody, or somebody owes somebody owes a net credit to you. What it implies is that. If I'm interacting with you, and we did that a little bit earlier today, right? Yeah, yeah. I said potentially I could introduce you to these yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't ask for it, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. I, I offered it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess now it's subliminal. There wasn't a very big strategy in my head, but that's just now <laughs> second nature. But that's the yeah, point I'm yeah, saying yeah. that in networking, in building social relationships or trust, it's important that you selflessly figure out how you can help the other person before you figure out how that person can help you. Well said. The quid pro quo is very critical. We get that. Everybody realizes there's a quid pro quo. Uh, in simple terms, I, I get something, you get something out of the relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it's an equal relationship. Right. But you know what? You take the first step forward and That's help right. the person on the side. And Brilliant that advice. is the best way to network. If I can help you in any form and manner, whether it's through an insight or an opportunity or some talent pool that I'm aware of that could help your organization. Sure, sure. In any form and manner, if I can help you, then you build long-term relationships where then you can call in the favor. So therefore, mm. they, they need to have a net credit relationship with them mm. where you can call in a favor later on when you need your help. Mm. And who would not want to be in friends with somebody who has, you know, involuntarily or without being asked for helping that person out? So I have that mindset and uh, it's held me well so far. Mm. And that's kind of how I think about it. I mean, that's, there's one thing I'd, if I had to say that, would uh, add value that would be it hmm. now when we when people look at networking in today's day and age they are realizing the power of personal branding yeah now yeah. till now distribution was extremely focused in the hands of few with social media everyone can have their own individual distributions yeah. what we are realizing now how do you look at personal brand and how do you look at it in context of networking I think you're doing a great, I mean, this is a question you could answer for, you know, you could answer better than I would, mm. but I, I think it's multimodal, right? There is elements of showcasing, and multimodal in the sense that there's elements of showcasing it with artifacts that you put out, let's say put it out on LinkedIn, or you do your podcast, and also the community that you build yeah. around it, right? I think, I think any branding that is self-promoting explicitly Sorry. is doomed for failure. Doom. Doomed for failure, right? But if the if the branding comes as part of something, again, going back to the earlier point, where the other person gets a benefit of experience or an insight that is valuable to them, they naturally start following. I mean, that's what influencers do, right? right, right. So I have to be able to influence something that is beneficial to you. And if you put all of these various uh, branding initiatives or marketing initiatives in the various social media channels that are there mm. with that as being your core tenant your first principles that you operate on 
then I think you're going to be successful. Now, there's the mechanics of execution that you have to take care of. Mm. But I think that's how you become successful. Mm. And you build a long-term brand where people get stuck to you for long-term and they're willing to, listen, you know, willing to listen to you and all of that kind of stuff. So. When people look at brand, right, there is one thing that a lot of people say that perception is reality. And I want to understand at a business level, at an enterprise level, when you're doing serious business, yeah. do you think that is the case? Can perception become reality? Like fake it till you make it? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people who are starting out today yeah. and I talk to them, I see that that's what they're doing. Now, no one will ex like accept it. Yeah. I see that's what they're doing. So I'm curious to understand what do you think about that thought? You have to be an eternal optimist if you are starting something from your own or you're in a part of a small group of people that is building something yeah. out, right? If you're not an eternal optimist, then, then you're not you're not in the right place. Well, right? You need to know. Yeah, about. or you have to really believe in your idea, even if the market doesn't get it, right? Fair enough. It's like when, uh, and this is a cliche story, but when Steve Jobs came out with the initial Mac, right? Yeah, there was yeah, no market there. Yeah, yeah. You create the markets, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? So, in some senses, you have to be an eternal optimist. Now, uh, you should not be. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. You should not be Elizabeth Holmes, right? <laughs> now you want to be a now that's like you know now you you went to the far right, right? So maybe there is a Goldilocks zone between so, being extremely self-critical and pessimistic and being optimistic to the point where there's fraud being committed, right? Hmm. So there's a Goldilocks zone in between hmm. that you need to be at. So be a dreamer, but don't be a fraud. Correct. That's what you're saying. Yeah, and you ha and you know. You are going to have bad days, yeah. and you're going to have days where you'll say, "Well, I've got you know." And it's not just about you because you've hired a set of folks, so you're making payroll for them, yeah, yeah. And you are as responsible for their success as you are responsible for your success and your financial well-being, etc. So it's important that you know the leadership metal is tested during the yeah, hardest yeah, times, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think the environment, the times that we're living in right now, are hard times mm -hmm. across the space. I mean, there's nobody that is sailing in clear air mm -hmm. anymore right now, right? So, so this is the hardest time where your management theories get tested. Your metal gets tested this time, right? Hmm. And some of the, like, you know, the mental muscle that you're building right now, the body of experience is really something that will stick with you downstream. You'll come back and you'll reflect on it and say, you know, I learned a lot during hmm. that time. Yeah. And a lot of it is actually not just about your personal motivation, but if you're doing a startup, it's about the motivation of the folks that are working with you. Sure. Because they might question you like, hey, you haven't done this in the last two years. And what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And while you, you cannot be, you have to be factual in terms of where you are, but you also have a you also need to have a, a realist point of view that you can bring them on board and say, you know what, we just need to keep at it. Because then uh, the, the, the probability of, uh, of luck will favor you. But you cannot get off the tram here, essentially. Mm -hmm. right? So that... I think those are the areas that leadership leaders get tested a lot. Hmm. Like you said, in good times, the tide's high. When the tide's low, hmm. rocks, are, rocks are showing. You have to yeah. navigate yeah. the rocks. Yeah. And it's not just in the marketplace around demand, but also from your, from your talent pool. Yeah. You yeah. have to keep them motivated on yeah. the stars as this is going on. Right? And that's not easy. Mm. Um, and it's it's actually a fairly lonely personal journey in my mind. Yeah. Like you have to figure it out, yeah. right? You might get a few executive coach, you might read a few books, etc. But uh, the mostly BS. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> James Clear is good. Have you have you read that book, Atomic Habits? Oh, that's a good book. Oh, that's, that's, that's the book. Good. That's a good book. I'm, I'm just making. A lot of people have recommended that. I'm yeah, not yeah, it's a good book. It's a good book. So read that one. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, some of them will be BS. But the point is the lonely journey, you have so, to figure it out. And there's a custom sauce on how you make it happen, which should be authentic to you. Mm. 
and I really believe in that. So, Fair enough. So now uh, you joined Corridor in 2019. That's right. How old were you back then? Uh, 45, 46. 45, 46. Now, what I am personally seeing is there are a lot of leaders hmm. in India who are at that juncture where they are in their late 40s or something like that, early 50s, where they have worked in a services, in an analytics setting. Huh. Now, they are at a juncture where India itself will start building products. Yeah. India itself, because with AI and all of that, product building products will get democratized. A lot of, a lot of new players will emerge and these players would require people who could think at architecture level, who could think at engineering level at scale. Correct. Correct. So these leaders, a lot of them are right now contemplating uh, whether they should join a startup in, in an in executive position as a co-founder, as, as a president or something like that. No, you did that. You did that. And uh, again, I, I, I know a bit why you joined and why you guys are scaling up because of the beautiful product that you guys have. But Tell me at a blank canvas level, yeah. what are certain key levers uh, a leader should look at while evaluating an opportunity with a startup? Okay, so one most important thing that is the market opportunity large for that entity that you're going, that, that you're planning to join? Is the market opportunity big or is it limited in any form and manner? So the, the segment that they're going benchmark up. Benchmark, how do you benchmark it? What's big? What's big? 100 billion is also big. 1 billion is also big. Like, how do you benchmark it? Okay. I would say any market sizing of an opportunity that is a billion dollar plus is fair game. And sometimes it happens that you know that the trend is very strong, but you have, it's too early, and you do not know the market size of it. But you know the trend, the undercurrent is very strong. Sure. I'll give an example. It's a little geeky example, I'll give it though. So we, we talk about GAI, generative AI and LLMs. You know, markets Now, the big thing there is in enterprises where enterprises actually spend a lot of money, insurance, healthcare, banking, right? success it's very critical that there is a st you have to bring a lot of robust governance and stability to these decisions that are being built using GAI or LLMs, etc. Without that bedrock, you cannot make it successful. So if you had ability to build platforms and capabilities that will enable organization, uski market sizing, I don't know, I don't care, but it's such a big thing that it's on you are enabling something to be successful. Even if the market research guys haven't gotten to figure out the size of it, the trend is so obvious that anybody who's doing that is going to have, uh, you know, a big catching downstream. So I just gave that as an example. We, we are we are playing in that area. So I gave that example specifically. First thing is yeah, total addressable market space is huge. The second thing that when you when you're evaluating it is, जो दूसरे founders हैं, उनकी क्या credibility है market space में? Because what happens there are, yes, you have the, you know, the Google example, again, cliche. But remember, the Bay Area ecosystem is very weird, right? You do so then you know, it just spreads right. like wildfire. Yeah. Because the whole, the, the entire community is geared toward that. But in the rest of the world, it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. So you might have a fantastic idea, but if you do not have other founders, and that's why the complementary nature of the founders is very critical. If you don't have that, then 
you might have a great idea but you would not have an opportunity to scale problem is sometimes these founders are too young for us to sort of look at their credibility you have to look at that person and evaluate how what what are things you evaluate if there's a young founder there is no pedigree or no credibility okay. so then in that case situation that scenario then it's very important that not only you come on board but you're able to attract one or two like you talked about some person is going to be joining you i know it's probably confidential use right now but but joining you with a certain skill set they bring an enterprise selling yeah, right yeah. a skill that you don't have yes, which yes, is fine yes. but that's exactly why you have complementary nature of things mm-hmm. right so is baat mein the way i think about it is if you're coming on board or evaluating an early stage startup for joining them as part of like a one big hail mary move from sure. where you are stable to right. to thing it's important that you are directly influencing the management team that is getting built out of here right where you've got complementary skills across the board right sure. somebody who can run operations well somebody who has got market credibility like in our space for i think that if an ex regulator was to join our firm how great. huge thing and, and thankfully oliver wyman which is an investor in us have ex regulators who are sure. on our board right sure. till shurman is an example for that leaving that aside but the point i'm trying to make is that it might not be just you but as long as you realize that this is a complementary affair and you can bring those people together sure. to do this that's a kind of second third thing that i think is very important for startups across verticals is the ability to build partnerships with incumbents in the space large incumbents yeah, in the that's space that's big that's big because when you're trying to scale dekho proof of concept ke liye you can get a few deals going you establish that people are willing to pay for your offering product or service right but then how do you go from 5 to, to 50, 500 or whatever or 5 to 500 depending on the size right you will need to piggyback on relationships of partnerships so you ha- the channel element becomes very critical if this your distribution the distribution the distribution a five year distribution because you're not trying to do this for 20 years you're trying to do this in 5 7 years yeah. how can you do this without incumbents who already have relationship and they will clearly see oh that if you bring this to the table i don't do that but you do that ah great there there's some value here so that's also an important element hmm. that you and it channel channel building channel is notoriously tough it takes 6 to 12 months right. to prime a channel which can then start fruition you into you know and the problem is that whenever you go for channel partnerships you need to always think in your head that i will get 49 out of this yeah i for sure yeah like because the incumbents will always take 51 correct whatever is the case. that's their cut that's for introducing the channel yeah but that's also an important accelerator of growth yeah, so yeah. i think to your point the tam is big complementary uh, nature of the so sort of uh, founder market fit So TAM, founder market fit, and distribution—three things. These are—I mean, yeah, there were three power of three. Then yeah. that these were three main things. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that you need. You right. need to evaluate. And I think it's okay. I think we live in a world where you know you fast success, fast failures in some way, right? So if you want to take the jump, take the jump because at least from an Indian context, I feel there's lots of opportunities abound. Let's say you spend two years into it and the, it just crashed and burned. There's lots of opportunities that will come up. as uh, after that and also you would have learned a, a hell lot of skills along the way when you did that that itself is very valuable right mm. so so i think there's a little bit of a win win there mm. even if you didn't knock the ball out of the park there's still a lot of opportunity for you to leverage that into the next thing maybe go back into corporate that's okay but you don't want to be sitting 30 years from now saying i wish i tried that one mm. and that opportunity came across my table and i didn't go for it right 
that regret is a lot bigger than actually go, doing it and uh, in the unfortunate scenario of crashing and burning. Sure. But that's still going to teach you a, a load of skills, hmm. including managing stakeholder expectations. Remember, there's boards involved here, customers, prospect, your employees. You know, they, they call it experiential learning for a reason, hmm. right? Hmm. So hmm. you learn all of these stuff along the way. So. Hmm. So I think in corridor also what we're seeing is, is that uh, again you guys are in healthcare and other domains also but banking is still the core. Yeah, banking is our first leg. Yeah. First leg, right? And in your journey we see that banking, financial services as financial institutions have, have always been core to what you do in, yes. in most cases. Our lineage is banking. Lineage is banking. Uh, yours personally as well. Yeah, and other founders too. Other founders. So now can you explain to me, can you explain to a layman mm -hmm. Where is AI analytics used in banking in like 120 seconds at a very broad level? Because I'm a think of me as a consumer. Mm -hmm. I just go to my bank. I deposit money. I use a credit card. I have a mutual fund. That's I, that's all I know about a bank. Yeah. Now, can you tell me at a very top level, very macro level, yeah. how does analytics AI work here? So, I'll just give you, there was a report done by NVIDIA in 2022. And I know it's not a planted question, so I'm answering your question, yeah, yeah. question as you ask it. So they were looking at snapshot today, where the highest level of penetration is. And I'll just give you the top two or three and the bottom two or three. <clears throat> so the top two or three is, one is around regs and compliance around AML, huge application of analytics there. Second is fraud, transactional account takeover fraud, where the harnessing the power of the graph, the graph network, and knowing where are the patterns emerging, a lot of this is being kind of semi-supervised in nature because you have to discover it and you, you know everything is not existing patterns. And with AI, it's becoming even different. Well, that's why semi-supervised. Because other people are using AI to do fraud. Correct. And the patterns are shifting very quickly. So that's why semi-supervised. you got to quickly trap the patterns, right? So I think AML, fraud is huge. Obviously, marketing analytics has always, always been very heavy. So these are kind of a couple of areas at the top. Interestingly, in the areas that have a lot of opportunity right now is wealth management in banking, where, like robo-advisory, where robots are advising on... But robo-advisory has never worked. If you, if you look in the US... If you because look it has not been done well. That's why it's, it's the least penetrated. There is opportunity, by the way, with generative AI where you can actually, at scale, again, I always think about it at scale because, you, you know, I'm not talking about the top 2%. I'm talking about the next 35%. So how can you offer them personalized advice driven off analytics, not an army of wealth managers, and improve the quality of the robo-advising? There's a huge opportunity there in itself, right? I see that. I think even in the area of, of pricing decisions and underwriting, while traditionally AI risk modeling has, has uh, or, or risk strategy and modeling has existed for a long time, but as it expands out, now with the open banking standards and embedded AI, both of them, or embedded tech, embedded tech uh, which includes AI, plus open banking, in dono ka confluence ke saath, kya ho hai ki there's a huge opportunity to build real-time decisioning, which is highly contextualized to what you need at that point of time. You went to buy this thing at a shop and you got a BNPL, buy now, pay later offer, which is attractive and you didn't want to put it all out as CapEx. So you funded it in four payments and it was offered to you, you didn't ask for it. That is highly contextual, embedded finance. So embedded finance and open banking are two initiatives infused with AI have a huge opportunity, they're unlocking a huge opportunity in the 
generative AI space also, where you're trying to do it at the mass level. Like, and I go back to DOS, Decision Optimization Solution. It is about optimizing decisions. I'll give an example. So let's say you wanted an installment loan, personal loan, and you went to the browser, you opened up four tabs, and you found four banks, one large, and you know, one fintech, and two small, right? You are looking to get the best offer in the next 20 minutes, and when I say best offer, an offer that is customized to your needs, mm -hmm. both in terms of EMI, the structure, yep, early yep. payments, all of that thing. You're highly informed as a digitally savvy Gen Z. You're trying to get the best offer, which you can, and, you, and time is premium for you. You've got 20 minutes in which you want to close this thing and move on. And you do not really care whether you bank with the institution, uh, uh, institution that you bank for yeah, your yeah. payroll. You are happy to do a bunch of best-of-breed solutions. I can go to my mortgage to somebody. I can go for installment loans to somebody. But you need to be able to close that. And that whole real-time contextualized analytics is the holy grail of where analytics is. Full stack, moving. basically. Like full stack in that sense, yeah. Full, full stack, real-time decisioning that is that you look at and say, wow, yeah, you really anticipated my need. Yes, I'm going to sign up with you. And I carry no baggage. I don't care where you came from, but you solve my problem at my point of need and that might not be your primary institution so that's where the holy grail is moving and i think the gai piece is going to marry with ai it's not going to replace it there is a place for ai for precision things like should i give you a loan or not sure. what should i price it at but when i start to look at things like let's say as a customer in customer management let's say you came to me and said hey listen uh, i'm having certain financial constraints can you help me prioritize which bills I should pay off? Pay off? Which bills should I, how should I prioritize my payment hierarchy on my bills? That's a very bespoke question. That's a, that's a deep question. It's not a question that is rule-based. You do need some intelligence and empathy built into this. Now, in the more manual world, you'll have an army of smart uh, customer management reps who will help you with this, but you don't have that wherewithal. These are the kind of questions that can be addressed with generative AI. Because you have a bank of knowledge that mm. you can harness. Now, you do it carefully because if you give you the wrong advice, you'll come back and say, you know, I got into more trouble than before the call. Mm. So, you have to be careful of that. So, you still might have it more like an agent assist. Sure. They're the agent managing four or five interactions. The GAI is giving you options for person X, person Y, person yep. Z. Yep. Yep. And then, so you are better informed as an agent. So, your productivity is higher and your quality of response is better. And you as a customer walks away in customer management, walks away satisfied saying, you know what? That was helpful advice for me, mm -hmm. right? Because remember, all agents are not going to have the same skill levels. It's going to take them five years to train them to that level yeah. of expert. But this expertise that comes in here becomes an agent assist that helps you with this, right? Mm -hmm. So these are some of the, this is kind of where the boundaries. Sure. Um, Bain Capital had a brilliant article on this. And they kind of said, GAI is like between rocks and stones putting the sand in between and covering the edges. Hmm. So they're the glue that, wow. which traditional AI does not address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why it's not my quote. It's, it's, I want to uh, give it to Bain, but BCB kind of put out that saying, sure. you know what? This GAI is like the sand in between, hmm. which holistically covers all of the options hmm. and looks at, you know, solving things that are unseen earlier, essentially. Hmm. Right? The, like, like the bespoke example hmm. or saying, how should I, what should be my payment structure hmm. here when I'm in financial distress? Wow. I think this was a fantastic experience for me personally. A lot to learn, a lot to learn. And what I really like is that you are very, uh, you are a storyteller at heart. 
I think that that yeah, that yeah, I can yeah, see. Everybody needs to be right. Yeah. All of us are actually. Yeah, like you are explaining very complicated things, but you are explaining them in a very simple way. Hmm. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Now much. one one last question: If you introspect in your life, yeah, what are some things you would not want a young individual who is starting his or her career, yeah, uh, to not repeat? And you can make this as sort of an advice, like whatever that is. Few mistakes, one mistake, whatever it is. That I did that uh, others should you, not do. You, you should not do. And it does not have to be very specific, it can be generic also. My career has straddled US and India both, right? Uh, both in terms of business models and where I worked, etc. I think in some ways there is value to do tough things in one place for a long time. In some senses, I, I, if there's one advice I could give uh, folks who are starting their careers, be in a place, don't, don't be impatient, take your time. Patience has built, uh, is a virtue for me that is built over time. But I would say build your, build your one or two core legs of your sure. capabilities, whatever those are, and then persist for a period of time in one location. Location I mean by country, not the city, I mean the country. Persist in mm. that for a period of time, you build your credibility in the marketplace and then you get the hockey stick inflation, inflection point, whether that's your own gig or it's part of a larger gig, but you get non-linear returns Got for it. the inputs that you put in, right? Don't flip between countries because everywhere you go... Starting from ground zero. Yes. That's not an easy thing to pull off, mm -hmm. right? So that is one advice I would give. Perfect. I think this was fantastic. Thank you so much. I, I hope you had a good time. Great time. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.